On today's show, Sam Fasini from The Athletic is back and we are getting right into his wheelhouse today. We actually have multiple guests and you have to watch on YouTube to know what I'm talking about. Andre Jackson Jr., Chris Livingston, Amari Moore. We're going to break uh, down what Sam saw pre-draft, what we could potentially expect this season. And the Bucks appear to have changed strategy over the offseason in a fascinating twist. Let's talk about it. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Goal for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. and hear me on this show Monday to Friday and also find my work over at ESPN. Joining me once again from The Athletic and the host of the Game Theory Podcast, my good friend Sam Vecini, for today's uh, episode that we appreciate everyone jumping on board as always, particularly the everyday is the Monday to Friday listeners of Locked On Bucks right through the offseason. That's some real sicko stuff. But you're big Bucks fans, which means that you're very excited about the draftees. So if you haven't done so yet, subscribe, drop a like, comment, rate, review, all those things are free to do. And it helps uh, the show continue to grow, which we uh, absolutely appreciate. Sam, uh, it's always a pleasure to have some time with you. And we are going to be talking about the NBA draft. This is right in your wheelhouse. Now, please tell me, after the amount of hours and words that you put (laughs) together for the draft, are you at least here in early August having some time to relax? Yeah, you and I are going out to get a beer this week. Like, it's going to be great. (laughs) I feel much better about where I'm at now uh, than I did pre-draft. But no, it's it's all good. Like, once I got back from Vegas, after I got over the terrible sinus infection that I got from breathing awful hotel recycled air, (laughs) uh, it was it's been really, really nice. And I feel so, so much better about um, being back here and being able to relax a little bit. It's nice. Uh, we are going to talk about the draft. And before we talk about the names that the Bucks took, and I've been reading through your draft guides and your pre-draft uh, analysis for these players that the Bucks did take, uh, there was so much talk pre-draft about Milwaukee trading. Now, would they trade into the late first round? Would they trade into that 30 to 40 range, which they ultimately ended up doing? Uh, the strategy for the Bucks, whether it was trying to pick up another young player and the roster build in general with... All these guys on the main roster, Mari Moore, a two-way player, but AJ Green on the main mm-hmm. uh, roster as well. It feels like there's been a little bit of a, a strategy shift from the Bucks, more big picture and more broadly. Uh, what did you notice from the way the Bucks tried to attack this draft as a contending team with, let's face it, very little assets? Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. So first and foremost, I'm always in favor of a team buying draft picks and just using the Uh money at their disposal that they have to be able to do that uh, or using draft picks to be able to do that. We have another visitor apparently now. Uh, There's a tail in the photo. There's Um, animals everywhere. There are animals everywhere in this house. So I think that I'm always in favor of that because I think that you can always get second round picks by selling players if you have to. Right. Right. You can do, for instance, what the Clippers just did getting uh, you can move a second round pick to be able to get like Balsa Copravica to get the draft rights. Right. Like there are always ways to like get, you know, touch rights. And this is something Milwaukee really has to consider moving forward because they're going to be hamstrung 
by the second apron, obviously. So if they're going to move into that echelon and if they're going to stay in that echelon, they need to understand what the tools they have at their disposal are, right? And from a player selection standpoint, what I found so fascinating was taking a player in Andre Jackson, who I absolutely adore, like truly was maybe my favorite player in college basketball all of last season. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I, love everything that Andre Jackson stands for and who he is as a player. Uh, He is kind of the antithesis of a Mike Budenholzer kind of player Hmm. where Budenholzer absolutely loved guys that could really shoot the ball. And if you couldn't shoot around Giannis, it was really hard to stay on the court. Andre Jackson can't shoot. He can do literally every single other thing on the basketball court and he can do it at a really high level. You can't shoot. And his selection at number 36 and what it says about where Milwaukee is going, I think is intriguing. Maybe we are overthinking it on some level, but the fact that in the last two drafts with their two most important selections they've made, they've taken these guys that are really good at a lot of different things. Marjan Beauchamp, as we talked about yesterday, really good athlete plays with an incredible motor, great aggression, constantly crashing around potential to be a really really good defender can't shoot really not consistently at least marjan's a much better shooter than where andre is right now (laughs) like much better so i think andre is ahead of marjan in a few other places but it's interesting to me that we're now at the point where the bucks are just drafting guys that the the biggest thing that got you on the court with mike budenholzer shooting they're valuing other players uh, and other skill sets when they acquire them at this point. So I took some notes uh, from uh, various stories that you'd uh, written pre-draft and post-draft. Uh, overall, you gave the Bucks a B minus, which I think, considering where they were selecting, feels pretty decent. But for Andre Jackson in particular, you've got top five percent athlete in the NBA, mm-hmm. and not just the rookie class in the NBA. In the NBA. You, Yes. Uh, elite, elite feel defense obviously is something we've noted on this show a little bit and then when you talk about the offense stuff and we saw a little bit of this in summer league and i don't think it was a great situation for this summer league team because as you pointed to the guys that they drafted can't really shoot bochamp is a speculative shooter at this point in time so at, at times they had literally four guys on the floor that can't shoot which is going to make yeah. offense a little bit difficult but I think the thing that's fascinating from the outside with not without watching a lot of Andre Jackson and the other guys in college is that uh, sometimes these second-round picks, you might be going for a super high upside, whether it is a scorer, whether it is a shooter. He appears, certainly from the box score and some of the stuff you read, that he was a high, high-caliber role player in, in the college game as well, which is an interesting approach for, for a number of these guys that the Bucs seem to have a similar skill set. The stats don't jump off the page. That's... Absolutely right. Andre Jackson is one of those players where you have to watch the game Mm -hmm. and you have to watch full games to get just how good this guy is. Like the processing, the feel for the game, the way he adjusted throughout the course of the year, there were times early in the season, especially where Connecticut played him at point guard, right? Mm -hmm. Like he was the guy bringing the ball off the court. He was the guy making decisions. Then teams adjusted to that. And they started to just go way under all of his ball screens. They were just like, yeah, we're just not going to guard you. We don't care. We're going to double the big, you know, if you want to shoot by all means, go for it. 
we don't think you have enough shake with the ball. We don't think you can like create uh, at a high enough level to be able to hurt us. So what did Andre Jackson in Connecticut do? They adjusted. They completely changed their scheme on the fly to where Andre essentially became like this off ball cutter and playmaker and like Draymond Green style, like almost like havoc inducer who just thinks and processes the game so fast that his ability to cut and make decisions with him without the ball was just so incredible. Like seriously, you go and you watch like the Arkansas game, you go and watch uh, from the NCAA tournament, you go and watch any of Connecticut's like NCAA tournament games, you you will come away just being like, this is maybe not their best player, but maybe their most important player uh, on the court every single time. It's like he has the most important thing for me for guys that are non-shooters uh, this is just going to be like an Andre Jackson love fest for like 10 minutes on this podcast. Cause I adore everything about him um, except for the shooting. You have to have this incredible level of spatial awareness uh, in terms of like where your shooters are, where your post players are, where your best players on the court are, how they are interacting like at the top with ball screens, right? how you can backdoor cut, how you can 45 cut to create angles for cuts uh, for, for yourself, for teammates, how you can cut to open up situations where, you know, you're forcing the backside help defender to actually come to you because you've beaten your player. And that's going to open up a cut for somebody else on your team. Andre Jackson has a better understanding of that stuff than I think anybody else had in this draft. Um, he, he is he is staggeringly intelligent in the way that he plays basketball. Uh, Connecticut would use him as a screener and short roll guy. They would use him as a 45 cutter. They'd use him as a baseline cutter. They'd use him in the dunker spot. Like, and this was a team that had great shooting. Like they had Jordan Hawkins, obviously. Tristan Newton could knock down shots. Joey Calcaterra could knock down shots. Um, you know, they had uh, Alex Caravan could certainly knock down shots. But they often basically every single minute on the court was played with a, a non-spacing big maybe is the way to put it. Adama Sonogo can shoot threes occasionally, but teams let him shoot threes. Like they're like, okay, you're going to settle for that. We're good with it. Hmm. Andre understood how to play within the construct of having a big that was the primary central force of whatever Connecticut's offense was at that specific time and how to space around that person and to make it work. And I think that's probably where Milwaukee got Mm -hmm. particularly interested because obviously they have Giannis who is this massive central force who isn't a spacer. I would imagine that Andre being able to really move and play without the ball and understand how to space the court without being able to shoot necessarily was really, really valuable to them. And as we've seen historically, even though the Bucs have had a whole bunch of shooters, it hasn't necessarily worked out in the postseason. So maybe having a, a, a guy that can understand the offense in different ways is going to be a point of difference for this Bucks team. I've got one more question on Andre Jackson Jr. coming up, and then we'll get to Chris Livingston and Amari Moore. But first, our podcast today is sponsored by Ibotta. And if you're me, I, I am not someone that enjoys shopping. So the idea of Ibotta giving me cash back after I shop is a glorious idea. And it is summer uh, right now. And a new season means new clothes. But your closet shouldn't be the only thing growing when you make these purchases. So now you can also watch your cash back grow 
with each purchase using Ibotta. The average Ibotta user earns 120 bucks a year. That could be the cost of an entire shopping trip, or you could use your cash back uh, to put money towards a flight you've been eyeing, a game you're dying to go to, or maybe just a fancy dinner, which is something that I can get around big time. So make sure you check out Ibotta right now. They're giving our listeners five bucks just for trying Ibotta by using the code LOCKED when you register. Go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free iBotter app and use the code LOCK. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store and use the code LOCK. All right, we're going to keep rolling with Sam here on the Bucks draftees. Later on this week, we're going to be talking a little bit of Greek national team. and I'm not sure whether Giannis is going to be there at the World Cup, but there'll still be some familiar names. So we're going to catch up with everything going on the Greek national team. Make sure you check that out uh, on Locked On Bucks. So my question for you, Sam, on Andre Jackson Jr. Now, everyone listening to this podcast, every Bucks fan is getting really excited about how much you love this man. I'm going to tell you that right now. Uh, but you in your, and I believe it was your big board, but correct me, uh, had him at 29 before the draft. We heard uh, through the draft uh, that there was some health concerns. So my question, and I know you work the phones and you understand which teams are around there. <laughs> Let me just ask you this, because I know that, I don't know how deep into this you can or, or want to go to. How yeah. high do you think he could have gone in the draft? Uh, right around where I had him. 29, okay. 27, yep. something like that. It, it wouldn't have been like drastically higher than where he actually went. Gotcha. Uh, that's uh, because I think... And, and it was the case also with Amari Moore, who we're going to discuss. But when I'm reading someone who watches as much of these guys as you do, and it looks like you get a bit of value in the draft picks, uh, I think the fans get a little bit excited there. Chris Livingston was interesting. Uh, again, not a player that the stats jump off the page. And then there was the unique situation about did he have a promise from the Bucks, And then he had a promise in the last pick of the draft, and he's coming in. And why would he do that? What can you tell us about Chris Livingston? I will say I am always quite skeptical of promises uh, <laughs> when it comes to that stuff. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and tell you for sure that Chris Livingston did not have a promise. Mm-hmm. Maybe he did. You know, it's possible. But uh, throughout the process, I know that when he shut it down, the speculation was, oh, does he have a promise in the top 45? Right. Yeah, and then he falls yeah. to 58. Right. Yep. So uh, that says a decent amount to me. Mm-hmm. Um you know, maybe, you know, the Bucks did give some sort of assurance that, you know, if he's there at 58, you know, we will take him. Yep. I, it's always possible, I think. But I'm not going to sit here and say that I know for sure on that. Uh, I don't love the player, frankly. Uh, I think that there were a number of different ways the Bucks could go. Uh, are Do we know what their plans are for him yet? Like, are the, they're, they're planning on rostering him, I assume, because of how he's rusted. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, like, if you're going to roster somebody, that's not what I would have done. But, you know, I, I get it on some level. He's an intriguing athlete right now, and that's really all it is. Like, he's six foot six. He is powerful physically. Player that, you know, coming up was really, really highly regarded, uh, you know, when he was 15, 16 years old, in large part kind of because he matured quicker physically than everybody else did it felt like and then the skill level hasn't quite come along yet for the ride uh 
struggles to be impactful, I would say on the court is my biggest concern right now. Uh, struggles to find a way to positively impact the game uh, in a way where you feel his presence out there, right? There were too many moments at Kentucky this year where it felt like he was just kind of there. Um, or there were too many moments where it didn't feel like he was there at all on the court. And that's going to be the biggest thing that he has to work through. I would imagine he's going to spend most of the year with the herd that that would make the most sense to me at the very least. And that they'll just have his contract on the books because it's cheaper to have his contract on the books than a full scale veteran. But they signed him for instance, I think to a two year deal. Right. And I, I don't think he'll be ready to play in two years. I guess is what I would say. Yeah, that's basically uh, what I gathered from uh, some of the stuff. And we heard the early uh, maturity stuff and then maybe the, the the athletes or the size of the opponents caught up with him uh, a little bit there. Yeah, but he, I, I, he for, seems, for like, he seems worth, on the outer a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's like maturity. Like, I don't think he's like a bad kid or anything. Physical I think maturity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like physical. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I mean, in terms of like mental maturity, like I, yeah. I, I've not gotten that impression at all that it's anything with that. It's... um. There, there is a bit of like he matured physically, I think, quicker than everybody did. And then now the skill level has to come along. He's still he's still like a very real NBA level wing athlete uh, from an explosiveness and leaping standpoint. Uh, he needs to work a little bit on lateral quickness. I think he has it in him, but I think that like he still hasn't quite figured it out yet. Uh, th- th- there's there are tools there but that he needs to work through them in a real substantial way. And he's someone that I think really needs to do it in a low stakes environment mm-hmm. early on uh, so that he can work through mistakes. And that's why I think the herd makes a lot of sense for him, like playing the G league as opposed to playing in the NBA. I- I'd be stunned if he got real NBA minutes at any point this year. Yeah. And I, and I think, again, we've discussed it a little bit, but the positional stuff and the players and the depth around those, it, it really does seem a little bit more challenging for him than a Bochamp or even uh, Andre Jackson at this point. Uh, one player yeah. I don't know much about at all, though, but I'm, I'm kind of excited to hear you talk about, again, because if you go through yeah. and, and you had the tears and you had Amari Moore as a priority two-way and you had him significantly yeah. higher than Chris Livingston. So uh, what's the story with Amari Moore? Because, again, at Summer League, he was basically invisible. Not only did he did he not uh, he he just didn't play much. He wasn't even on the floor. Yeah, I don't know what was going on there. I don't have a real story on that or anything. Yep. Uh, so Amari is like the epitome of a late bloomer, right? So he went to Pasadena High School and averaged like seven points and five rebounds a game. He had no offers from colleges. Period. Like we're not. Didn't even have like a JUCO offer. Didn't have an NAIA offer. No, no offers, point blank. Hmm. Decided to do a post-grad year at Middlebrooks Academy in Los Angeles and blew up. Like he averaged 20 points and six assists. He was really interesting. San Jose State calls when I believe Jean Prilo is still the coach there. And he was like, yes, like I will, this is a division one offer. Absolutely. Let's do it. He started 20 games as a freshman. Sorry, every game as a sophomore. Uh, eventually, the coach that brought him in got fired. Moore decided to stick it out as Tim Miles got that job. And he was the biggest piece for what is arguably, in my opinion, the biggest turnaround in college basketball I have seen in 
you know, the last few years at the very least. Uh, over the course of Omari's first three years in college, I think they won like like 18 games or hmm. something. Uh, in the last year he was there, they won 21. Uh, he literally, I know that the stat is that they won more games in his final year than they did in all of his first three years combined. <laughs> and he won Mountain West Player of the Year and was the big reason why. He is more of like a 6'5 point than he is like a 6'5 wing right now. He's actually best as like a pull-up shooter as opposed to like a catch-and-shoot three-point guy. If you look at the 112 players to take at least 150 pull-up jumpers this past season, Moore had the 25th best efficiency on those shots, hitting 35% of them. On If you watch those San Jose State games, a wild shot diet, hmm. like truly crazy. Um, and he made the 11th most pull-up threes in the country this year. Like he was tied with – Adam Flagler and Marcus Sasser, guys who are known as pull-up shooters, right? Um, good driver, a pretty good passer in terms of reading the defense in pick-and-roll situations. He just doesn't have a lot of ability to play off the ball yet. And that's what he needs to develop. I think that's either he needs to be a like backup point guard at six foot five who can run the show a little bit, or he needs to improve the ability to play without the ball. But He's six foot five. He can handle the ball. Uh, you know, he can shoot off the dribble. There, there's kind of a lot there. And I think he just needs some time again to kind of work through some mistakes as he transitions to pro basketball in the way that he got at San Jose state. Like he was the guy that I was like, if I was the Miami heat and I was looking for one of these undrafted, you know, potential right. star players that they could develop out of nothing. Like he was one of them. I was like, Omari Moore is like one of the guys I've been on. As you go through these tiers, and you can make this specific to Amari Moore, you can, you can talk sure. more broad, broadly. It's uh, It probably works either way. But when you're going through these tiers and you have a priority two-way, uh, what, what is it that you see? And it's obviously, it's going to be different with different prospects. But to me, I read that and I make the judgment that, okay, well, Sam's seeing something in Amari Moore that tells him or gives him some belief that in two years, he's going to be able to tap into some of those things that you, you've just spoken about. Yeah, it's six foot five dribble pass shoot with good length and like solid athleticism, right? right. Uh, the ability to play on the ball, the comfort level to make passing reads, uh, the ability to dribble. Like, you know, we talked a lot about like Marjan Beauchamp yesterday, right? Like Omari's ball skills are better than Marjan's are right now. Yeah. Uh, the thing is that Marjan knows how to play off the ball and has developed that ability to play off the ball. And frankly, when you're trying to develop into an NBA player, that's a more valuable skill set to have uh, because it allows you to get on the court with star players. And as we know now in the NBA, there are star players galore everywhere. Uh, so many players average 20 points per game now. <laughs> so Omari needs to develop that game off the ball. But the thing is that when those guys develop off the ball, you know, the guys that have real touch, the guys that have comfort level playing with the ball in their hands, they tend to blossom in a real substantial way. Look at somebody like the best, the best example of this is kind of Caleb Martin uh, with mm -hmm. the Miami heat. Like Caleb was, I, I mean, like, I don't want to be like, he was kind of like the black hole of basketball, like at Nevada and at NC state when he was there. 
Uh, it was all centered around his ability to score. And then his twin Cody was like the point guard and the great defender who did a lot of the dirty work stuff. Right. But Caleb always had the touch and had the dribble pass shoot ability. It was just that he needed to take those couple of years in the uh, NBA system and in the G league to learn how to play off the ball and be effective in that way. Uh, I think Omari has similar skills that if developed right, and if he can overcome the hurdles of being a professional and struggling early on, as many of these guys do, I think there is a lot of there are a lot of tools there that could allow him to be successful. So I mentioned at the top, this is the last one on on the draft days. It's a B minus you had. Uh, so obviously, as you discussed, maybe you would have gone down a different path with the Livingston pick. But again, the Bucks are. <laughs> They're not the most desirable draft picks, pick 36, 58, and then an undrafted Amari Moore. Yeah. But it does seem that there's a, a genuine uh, cautious optimism that they got some interesting guys, uh, again, as we discussed, challenging on a contending team. Yeah, I think that where I'm struggling with it is going back to what we talked about at the top, right? Like, I want to know more about what they're trying to build and like the players that they're selecting and for what role what does Um, griffin want to do with this team because i think that's a big unknown that's exactly right like is he just gonna run back the bud scheme offensively and hopefully trying to make some different ideas defensively right or is he going to bring in more off-ball movement is he going to bring in more passing and cutting and playmaking than what we saw at times under bud like i don't know I don't know the answer to that. And I think that's where I struggle with this because what we've seen from the Bucks in the Giannis era is that they have succeeded in a very specific way. And now they're drafting players that don't necessarily fit into that way that they have specifically succeeded. And that's okay if they have a separate plan, but I would like to see it first and understand a little bit more about what, what it looks like. All right, for the listeners, let us know what you think. We've been talking about these draftees quite a bit over the last few weeks, but as I said, we get some expert opinion in here with uh, Sam Vecini. And uh, Sam, I should have asked you this after yesterday's podcast, but sometimes I'm a bit rude as a host, so let us know uh, what's happening with the Game Theory podcast. And by, and by the way, you already told me you've got a 2024 mock draft coming out soon at The Athletic, which is just unbelievable. I do. Uh, no, you plugged the show at the top. It's all good. You told them where to go. We're all clear. Right. Efficiency. <laughs> what, what's That's going it. on in the Game Theory podcast? You roll through the offseason, obviously? Yeah, Spins. Uh, we did a thing where Adam took over the show uh, You know, on Monday and got a chance to ask me questions, and I had no idea uh-huh. what was coming. <laughs> and he uh, probably made me look stupid in some ways while I was trying to think through some of these answers, and it was great. It was super fun. I love it. <laughs> all right make sure you check out that on the game theory podcast i've been on there before i like to hang out with sam you'll as be much on as again possible. soon so, i will there's, there's no doubt about that so we appreciate the time with sam vicini as i said sam underscore vicini on twitter check out his work at the athletic if you haven't already because uh, you also have to support our friend eric name is providing the best bucks coverage uh, in the business as well at the athletic there uh sam you're a star we appreciate your time and it is fun to get a little bit of insight on these Bucks draftees. We'll speak to you very soon, my friend. Yeah, just don't 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 give Eric too many comments.